Hey there. Happy New Year. Welcome back to Buen Provecho Chronicles, the podcast where I finally have a reason to reach out to folks that I admire from afar to talk about food. I'm totally kidding. I'm absolutely not kidding. Anyways, it's nice to be back here sharing a new episode with you. Today, I have not one, but two guests, Molly Costigan and Bianca Baduk. Actually, it's Bianca Peterson now. Wow, I just caught myself. Um, anyways, they are two good friends that I met during my time working at a local nonprofit that works towards a just and regenerative food system. Our friendship was forged over a shared love of food blogs and overheard conversations. Today's conversation, however, is centered around the fact that each one of us falls somewhere different along the generational spectrum and how that affects how we relate to the food of our culture. It's a topic near and dear to me, so without further ado, here are Molly and Bianca. Little Olas? On, no, on Burnett. Tumble 22? Yes. That one's just mm-hmm. like good crazy chicken. Yeah. We've had that at least once a month since COVID. That's the restaurant <laughs> that we're like, we've adopted to keep in business. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I am with um, Ink Cafe, which I'm sure I've told you guys about too much. <laughs> I'm like, I will be the reason they survive the pandemic. <laughs> I don't know that we've adopted. We've like tried several places. I feel like the funny thing is we've gone to P. Terry's a lot, which we, we didn't pre-pandemic, but now we do. I don't know. So it's working for us. The line has always been so long every time we've driven past a P. Terry's. It's like that was the one thing people were like, yeah, I'll stand in line for that. You know, you can order ahead now. Oh, didn't know that. Yeah, you can order ahead. And I discovered you can order your fries extra crispy. What? That's an excellent tip. (laughs) As if they weren't crispy enough before. I don't even know. Like, I'm worried for my fillings to get extra crispy. (laughs) Said no one that's 31 years old ever. Ever. (laughs) P. Terry's was always our stop. Like, if we've been on a trip somewhere and we're coming back, knowing that the fridge is empty, we want something good mm-hmm. and something quick, but not something too greasy, mm-hmm. um, that was always our stop. And then since we haven't been traveling, we just look for excuses of, like, it was a long day. <laughs> That's a quick <laughs> thing we can have now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. So I thought we could get going by actually talking about how we met. Oh, <laughs> I know. I was trying to do the math of how long we've actually known each other. Yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong, but we're getting close to 10 years. Close. Think, yeah. Yeah. I think we're well, at eight or 2012? seven. 2012. Yes. It was 2012. Yeah. yeah. August was my nine year work anniversary. And we didn't work together the whole time that first year. So, yeah, we might be right around I actually nine. used Instagram. Oh, when I went weird. on that Instagram deep dive and sent, like, 12 photos to Claudia of, like, remember this? So I was trying to find the oldest one so that I could remember how long we've known each other. And I want to say it was fall of 2012. 
Yeah. So eight, about eight years. Mm-hmm. Eight years. Yeah. Um, yeah. But we met working at a local nonprofit. I don't have a problem saying the name. Some of us still work there. Um, I, not that that's a bad thing, but I can also cut this entire section out that I'm babbling about right now. I'm happy to share that we met working at Sustainable Food Center, where I uh, I am the only one still working there. And obviously, I'm not representing them officially today, but they have been a big part of my life and my relationship since I moved to Austin nine years ago. Yeah, I mean, it's it's how we met. I stepped into that very crowded office in that weird building. It's so hard to explain now in our new building that to people that like there were nine of us sharing what was supposed to be the conference room as our office and three of us were constantly making phone calls and doing community outreach and it was also the market farmers market storage. That was, was the kind best of best part. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Claudia, I think you were kind of behind us. Yep. Yeah. Uh-huh. So we'd sort of turn if we were having yeah. like a full catch up. Yeah. I always loved when you'd like laugh like in the background at like something we were whispering about. I mean, we might as well just have looped you in the whole time. Eventually, <laughs> I think we did, but it was always like funny to hear you like snort or like laugh. <laughs> the solidarity I mean, it was, hard was to have appreciated. A private conversation in that room, really, honestly. Um, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. You two were kind enough to bring me into the fold, and I probably just inserted myself because how could I not? Like you said, it was a small office, um, but we bonded over a cramped space, um, shared overheard phone calls, and food. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. And food blogs. You and I, Claudia, in particular... We're big fans of Joy the Baker, but I think at that time we were all reading multiple food blogs and bonded over those too. Yeah. I think the one I remember you and Molly talking about a lot was the one where they talked about weird food or weird topics. I don't, do you know which one I'm talking about, Molly? It's um, the web address is How Sweet Eats, but I think yes. the official title is How Sweet It Is. And it's always just like, marshmallow peanut butter chocolate ice cream crunch and it's sprinkles yeah sprinkles the most magnificent combination of things yeah yeah so i forgot about that what a good memory that all the crazy food yeah the one the reason i remember that one is because you sent me i think the first time i asked you about it it happened to be one on a topic um that is near and dear to molly's heart which is cheese yep and I guess it was a funny one, and I don't know. Y'all were laughing about it. And like you said, Bianca, I just kind of overheard, and I was like, what are you talking about? I also <laughs> remember because Bianca and I were in AmeriCorps, and we were on tight budgets. And at one point, we were debating doing a cheese tasting class at Antonelli's. Yes. And then we did the math, and we were like, if we just put the money that we were going to put towards this class towards just buying cheese, <laughs> yeah, exactly. our like uh, our you know return on investment might be higher. Ah, <laughs> cheese! It's our common mm. denominator. Um, so I'll let y'all decide who gets to go first. We can go alphabetically if you want. <laughs> um, so one of the questions that I've been thinking about. You know, what was the food background of your childhood? Uh, And if like that's like, uh, do you have an early food memory? So one or both. Bianca, I'll let you go. 
Okay, alphabetical. So I grew up in Romania until the age of five, and I ate all of my grandma's and my aunt's cooking. I lived with my aunt, but visited frequently with my grandma while my parents were in the U.S., and we were uh, in the process of getting visas to join them. And my grandparents had a large garden, and also they were farmers, so they had land outside of their village where they farmed. And I would say one of my earliest food memories is going to the garden that they had in town and picking sour cherries, which we would use to make compote or jam. This was usually at the end of the summer. Um, The sour cherries would get ripe like July, August... And of course, as a child, you remember those really strong flavors, I think, anyway. Those are the strongest memories. So that really sour, bitter taste of the sour cherry in their garden. Um, And hand in hand with that, I remember how the hothouse, their greenhouse, smelled from the cucumbers and the tomatoes. Like the, the cucumbers especially, it was just the smell of like moist earth, the cucumber, um, and I would kind of hide in the different rows and just like find little corners and pick the ripe fruit and you know taste that tomato or I remember the prickly feel of the cucumber leaves and the cucumbers themselves and um, so those are some of my earliest memories they're kind of a mishmash of garden and tasting what came out of the garden. So then it sounds like it was your food background of your childhood is really a lot of home-cooked meals your the food was grown um, by your family and, and things like that, right? Is that fair yeah, to say? Yeah, I, you know, I don't really remember eating out in Romania ever. Um, people just didn't really eat out. I don't think it was a big, big, uh, you know, tradition to go to restaurants. Um, the best food was always your mom's or your grandma's house. For things like fancy pastries, we would buy those from like a patisserie. That was very common there. Um, and surprisingly, bread. There were bakeries like on every corner, so people would get their bread from the local bakery. So bread, pastries, um, you know, ice cream from little street ice cream vending machine kind of things. Not vending machine, but little ice cream machines. Um, the occasional uh, donut or um, kind of a flaky pastry or those type of things you would occasionally get as treats or when you're at the beach they had roasted corn on the sidewalk or what else would they have popcorn things like that but yeah the rest of the meals were definitely homemade um, and made with ingredients grown at my grandparents house what about you molly yeah i uh, had a similar eating food straight from the farm i grew up on a beef cattle farm in kentucky and It's not my earliest memory, but I do have an early memory because we had Angus cows, which are a kind of black cow, and Charlet cows, which are a kind of white cow. My dad was curious to know um, which tasted best, and then also like trying to like crossbreed them. And so I remember being told to go down to the deep freeze and bring up a package of hamburger, and it was labeled with what the cow looked like, that it was um, black with white face. (laughs) Um, So very close to the source of our food. Um, but it also just made our whole family kind of food obsessed. It's, I have an aunt who says 
she can, in any like memory or moment in her life, she can remember what she's wearing and my family remembers what we're eating, um, which I know is not unique, but it is, um, yeah, just a big part of like what we talk about. And I found a diary from when I was really little. I wasn't even writing it myself. My parents would write. Um, and it was usually just a line or two, but it was like, we went to the beach. I love shrimp. And <laughs> we went to the fair and I ate a corn dog and a funnel cake and popcorn. Um, so it was just like a big way that we connected and celebrated and yeah, just took a lot of joy from the food. Cool. Yeah. So one of the, sort of this kind of conversation, why we're here today came about, so the last time we caught up and I shared with y'all that I had been thinking a lot about, um, identity, I think is really kind of what I distilled it down to. And what I mean by that is like, so Bianca, you're, you grew up or you were born and you were raised for the first five or so years of your life in Romania. Um, I grew up on the border. I was born in the U.S., but I grew up on the U.S.-Mexican border. My parents are uh, Mexican. I consider myself Mexican-American, so I'm second generation. And then Molly, your family's been here for a while now. And correct me if I'm mistaken, is your family background Irish? Uh, from the name, like Scotch-Irish probably, but okay. I also... Um... I often forget the grandfather that gave me the last name was adopted. And so like our actual roots are just a, a mix of lots of um, there's some German from my grandmother. I think there's a lot of white folks in the U.S. are really interested in figuring out where they have come from. And so I've learned a little bit from family members that have researched. But my family in general has been more obsessed with figuring out how long we've been in Kentucky and if we're related to any famous Kentucky people like <laughs> Abraham Lincoln, who was born there, or Henry Clay. Um, so, yeah, it, it's um, many generations back in Kentucky. So that idea of identity for me, I've been thinking about it a lot in the terms of also so because I'm married to Nathan, who is a, a white guy and what I see often, um, and so again, this is kind of where the, the idea kind of came from and as we were talking about it, that tie to not just like your cultural or ethnic background changes, which I guess is normal, you know, the, the further removed you get from that first generation. And then also that those food traditions just change over the years. And so it's rare for me to find, or it's rare that I have a friend who is so closely tied to their family's um, food traditions that are, or I'm trying to figure out how to say this. So like their ethnic food, you know, traditions. Um, I don't even know if like that's the PC way to say it. But so I was thinking like, oh, like, Bianca is probably the closest outside of like any Mexican-American friends that I have who are, are really, you know, still in tune, so to speak, with those food traditions. Um, but then I was thinking about you, Molly, and you have a really strong, you know, tie to the traditions within your family that are also like related to food, but they're different. And so as we were had been talking about it, you know, at our last kind of catch up, Bianca, you're the one who said, we're a spectrum. And I hadn't thought of it in, in, you know, those terms. So Bianca, you are first generation. You immigrated to the U.S. along with your parents. 
I was born here, so I'm second generation. And Molly, like you were saying, you know, you're a few generations down the road and how that's affected the way we relate to the food um, of our family's background. And one of the things that I also thought was really interesting that you said, Molly, was yours has become a choice, whereas I don't know, at least not for me, maybe it's kind of a choice, but it's also, it's, it was just, I just grew up with it because it was in the house. It's what my parents know. It's what they knew. So that's basically what they cooked. And I'm wondering, you know, it's the same thing for you, I guess, Bianca, right? I mean, growing up in Romania, you're going to eat Romanian food. And unless mm -hmm. you were going out to eat every night, you know, what else would you be eating? So I, I thought that was really interesting. And, you know, my brain kind of gets going. I start to look at my nieces and nephews who are now third or fourth generation and how they're slowly getting removed from, you know, my parents' food traditions. Yeah, so that's kind of the conversation that I was really wanting to have with y'all. I think... Molly, your comment of like, it's become a food choice. It's become a choice for you at this point. Because um, I think I had said in, in not such um, uh, educate, not educated terms, but I was like, it seems like a lot of white people don't have food traditions, but that's not really the case. There are food traditions because like, as I was talking to Nathan, his food traditions are just really around events. So like birthdays, Christmas and things like that, and not so much um you know, his German ancestry or anything like that. And I think that's where those choices kind of start to come in. And it just, those traditions change to events and I guess things like that. Am I making any sense? <laughs> yeah, I think so. It, it really got me thinking when we were talking last time, because I think the food culture that I most identify with is Southern food. And, and then also some things that are more specific to Kentucky. And I think one way that I did, that I was sort of motivated to get connected and stay connected is when I left the place that I grew up and I went to college in North Carolina and I studied abroad in Spain and now I live in Texas and just learning about the things that I grew up eating that might be a little different from that region or that might not be as popular. And then I got really excited to share um, what I had learned and what I'd grown up with. And because I was thinking too about other people that I grew up around that grew up in the same food culture, but aren't, don't get as much joy from food, aren't, don't talk about it, aren't as obsessed with it um, as I am. And so something about like my motivation to share my food sort of made it a choice for me to really identify with that. Whereas other white folks I grew up around might not have the same relationship. Yeah, it becomes a little bit more, mm -hmm. I guess what I'm seeing now, like is I, think about my friends who are white and I start to think about their traditions around food and it really comes down also not just to events but also to place so I have a friend grew up in the Midwest and I know in the Midwest there's a strong Scandinavian population and there's a whole little community and there's very specific um, food traditions there and then I just have other friends who it's like oh they're from you know, Chicago, California or whatever. And there are very specific regional traditions around that. So it changes. And I guess it's still the same to, you know, just growing up with Mexican parents. It's, it's still, I don't know, but to me, there's still a difference there. And I, that's kind of I, what I'm, I don't know what I'm trying to kind of get to or, or figure out or not that one is better, but I, it, a lot of, so much of that is wrapped up in identity for me. You know, I can't, 
I can't separate Mexican food from myself because then it'd be like denying a, a really big part of who I am. But I think it's because I'm so close to it, literally like in, in proximity and also um, in generation. But I don't know. Bianca, I'm curious. I realize I don't know this. Are there, When you think about like planning your meals, are there certain times of the year when you always make Romanian food or in your mind, do you even think of it as like, I'm going to make Romanian food tonight? Like um, when you're planning what you eat and especially around like celebrations and stuff, just mm. like what's that thought process? Yeah, I think the way that my background has impacted how I think and plan about food is um, I think seasonally because I grew up with grandparents who were farmers and most people would shop at the farmer's market. So even if, you know, I wasn't at my grandparents, my aunt and uncle would shop at the farmer's market and everything was always in season. So I think about food in a seasonal way, you know, in the summertime, I'm craving those cucumber, tomato, feta salads, roasted eggplant, um, light, thin, brothy summer soups with fresh herbs. So I think about that and it's almost like I crave those foods at certain times of the year because that's how we ate. I have basic Romanian recipes that I'll crave um, on a regular day. And then during, around special occasions, there's things that, you know, take longer to prepare that I associate with, you know, Christmas or a birthday or, you know, just a special meal like cabbage rolls that take longer to prepare. So I feel like there's various levels of, um, you know, complexity to the food and that's how I would parse out what I would make on, on a typical day. So for example, there's um, a simple Romanian potato salad. It's potatoes with um, sliced onions, like a soft, softer boiled egg, like a jammy egg, a nice salty olive. Some people add other things to it. That's kind of the basic, you know, foundation with some oil and salt. You could add a little lemon. So really, really simple um, that's something I would make like on a weeknight when I'm just craving something familiar and, um, reminds me of what we would eat growing up. And then definitely around a Christmas time or a family get together, it's like, well, we got to have homemade either cabbage rolls or, or stuffed grape leaves, you know, maybe certain soups or stews or, um, desserts or baked goods. Kozonak is one, which is like a mix between a panettone and a babka. And that to me is Christmas time. Uh, have to have that. Or special occasion time. So when I had Theo. <laughs> or Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> or Tuesday. When I had Theo in September, my mom came and within a week she had made Kozonak. <laughs> she also had the time. You know, it's very time consuming. So she was like, I have the time. And she was making comfort foods and, you know, things that I would crave as a kid or things we would eat at get-togethers that my grandma would make. Um, rice pudding is another one of those things I crave a lot where it's like comfort food. And it's something my grandma would make. And we would sit around the pot together and scrape the bottom of the bowl with, where, like, the burnt sugar rice would have stuck. And we would just sit there and go for the bottom first instead of the regular rice pudding. So, yeah, I think it's impacted me in, in ways that I eat a lot um, now that, you know, I've had time to reflect and, and plan meals in my own household. Yeah, yeah. So I guess, you know, I, I keep kind of circling back to it. And 
It keeps I keep circling back to what you said, Molly. I feel like I'm gonna sound like a broken record here. So it becomes about choice, maybe. So Bianca, do you feel like at this point, um, because you have been in the States longer than you were in Romania, do you feel like you have to actively choose to incorporate those foods? Or are they still so ingrained into your DNA that it's second nature the way say you know my mom wakes up in the morning and she decides i want potato and egg with some salsa you know it's just it it's what she eats it's what her you know taste buds know whereas for me it's like oh yeah i know those but then they all my taste buds also start to choose something else so i'm wondering bianca do you feel like that's you or is it still pretty ingrained in who you are and you're just like yeah i don't know mm. I feel like it's maybe three-fourths ingrained because I think enjoying food so much uh, within our own home led me to enjoy other foods outside of the home and be adventurous. And so, yeah, there are times when I'll crave, you know, really good Thai or I'll crave biscuits, you know, other things. Um, but I feel like it's ingrained in me in the way that I cook and I, I think about food. So for me, there's certain herbs, for example, that you just use in certain soups. You know, dill just goes in a certain soup for me. Or you need these type of salty olives in that potato salad, not other salty olives, <laughs> not those like big black, you know, canned olives. You need to have like the salty Moroccan olives in my mind. There's certain, you know, thyme, for example, that you'd use in the cabbage roll and other time just doesn't cut it you know other varieties or so I feel like there's certain flavors that are ingrained in my taste buds to where when I wake up and think about what I want to eat I get very specific in terms of what I'm craving what I'm thinking about um and how I view food so yeah I you know sometimes I don't even realize I'm maybe a little bit too rigid because you know, I've always had for example, this herb with this potato salad or whatever, or this olive with this potato salad. And I think Greg, not having that background when we cook together and he wants to add something else, even though I feel like I'm an adventurous eater, there's like this little <laughs> part of me that's like, oh, that's not the right herb that to put it in. I don't, you know, and whatever, we do it and it's great. But there's always this little part of me that's like, huh, I would not have thought of that. And I'm skeptical until I try it, you know? Um, <laughs> Because I have these food traditions and that's just the way these combinations have, have uh, always been. So yeah. I think your, your mention of biscuits also reminds me that you also spent, a, you know, with both Texas and like the Georgia, Tennessee area, spent a lot of your time in the yep. U.S. in a region that has a strong food tradition, which you were kind of talking about last time of like, it definitely seems to vary by region, like how yes. strong that tradition is. And so if you had moved to another place, place like you might have hung on to some of your things more or less than you did but like I mean you gotta I don't I guess you gotta make room for like southern biscuits <laughs> and, and ham you know, and ham definitely and, you know um, yeah yeah so Molly you said that when you moved away from home that's really when you started to dig back into your family's food traditions um and was that just because you were missing home, you were missing those flavors or yeah, what, at what point did you start to make that conscious decision to say, I really want to make that a part of who I am? 
Yeah, well, and I was pretty lucky because I went to school in North Carolina, which also you can still access most of the same kinds of foods that I had. But I think I worked at the Center for Religious Studies in college and the Hillel director, I remember talking about how she loved working with college students because they would get to college and finally realize all of the weird things about their family. And her go-to example was someone who, whenever they bought ice cream with like a fudge ripple or something in it, whoever got to the ice cream first just got to eat that middle part out. And they called it chunneling. <laughs> and that was just normal. And then when she lived with roommates and realized that not everyone does that, and it's to some people kind of weird that you do that. Um, I feel like that was the, the big thing for me, speaking of you know celebrations, was Kentucky Derby. So most of the people that I went to school with, they knew that it was a horse race. They knew it was a spring thing, but they'd never had a Kentucky Derby party. And that wasn't even a huge part of my childhood. Like some years it would just mean that my dad came in a little bit earlier from the farm so we could watch the race together. Some years we would go to somebody's house and, um, you know, have a full party about it. But I was just so kind of like confused that other people didn't market in a big way. And that made me want to market in an even bigger way than I had growing up. And so that was kind of an excuse to make the pies and the um there's this kind of, it's it's also throughout the south but it's spoon bread it's like a moist cornbread yeah just all kinds of my mom would send me a ton of like bourbon candies from Kentucky and there's this kind of really super salty cured ham country ham that you can maybe get other places at this point but she's just got it in her head that it's only a Kentucky thing and so she <laughs> mails it to me <laughs> regularly um, and we've gotten to partake yeah so yeah just the Kentucky Derby was kind of like my first foray into sharing all of that and then studying abroad and like and that was kind of my first experience being in Spain and not even being able to find some of the ingredients that I was used to and so it was a combination of really loving getting to explore a different food culture and also really like putting my finger on what it was about my food culture that I missed. Yeah. It's funny, you, as you were talking about the Kentucky Derby, um, I was reminded of an event that I feel like a lot of my friends who, you know, whose families have been here for several generations now, that they celebrate with such like gusto and there's a lot of food related to it is the 4th of July. And that is not a holiday that my family celebrated. Um, it wasn't until I came to college and that I started. So I grew up on the border. So it, the population is primarily, you know, Mexican, Mexican. I mean, American, but Mexican-American. Um, so once I left my bubble of, of that world, I got to interact with a bunch of different cultures and a, with a lot more white people. <laughs> and so more of those traditional American holidays really started to come into play. And one of those was the 4th of July. And I remember going to a 4th of July party for the very first time. And it, and it wasn't until college. I don't even remember, you know, popping fireworks growing up for the 4th of July. We would do them for New Year's. But outside of that, I don't have any memory of doing it. Around did y'all do Thanksgiving? We did do Thanksgiving. Yeah. Which I wonder why. <laughs> I think it's because there's a lot because it's more food, I think, heavy than the 4th of July is. That's it my also comes guess. back maybe to that idea of choice of like if you're going to pick the two 
kind of between the two kind of like uniquely U.S. holidays. Go yeah. with the one that's about family and food. And not yeah, the exactly. one. <laughs> Don't go with the one with the fireworks. Yeah. yeah. Similarly, my family, yeah, same thing. Thanksgiving over 4th of July. Over 4th of July. Yeah. But I remember like going to a, a 4th of July party and, you know, there was a barbecue and there's ice cream and there's pies and all of this stuff. And I was like, what is this? And like, what's the big, big deal? Like, I get the significance of the holiday. But outside of that, I was like, oh, OK. I mean, and to this day, the 4th of July is not a big deal for me. I it's a, a important day in our nation's history, but I don't have any strong, you know, family ties to it. And I think that's why. And my friends that do, it's those that have, you know, whose families have been here for several generations. And so that's what's been incorporated. And so I think those are the things that I find really fascinating, you know, where I'm like, how can you not know about your family's German ancestry and bratwurst and, you know, all of this good stuff and um, schnitzel and I don't know, like, I always want to go back to the origins because I feel like that's the exciting, not that it's not exciting to be American, but I think it's just such a melding at this point that I like that thing that makes you, that stands out for me. I don't know. So, yeah, I don't know. I was thinking that about that a lot as kind of coming into this conversation. And then the other thing that I was thinking about is, so now, of course, for me, I'm choosing to hang on to those traditions because it's one, it's again, it's easy because I, I live in Texas and easy access to a lot of the ingredients. Molly, like you said, you've chosen to do that. Bianca, same thing. But I'm thinking, you know, for the generations to come, especially like immediately right now, Bianca, you just had a baby. So yay, yay. yay. <laughs> you've got a cute little munchkin, Theo. And you know, one day he's going to start eating solid foods, actually in a few months. Um, but you know, how do you, how do you instill that in them? And the reason I was also thinking about this is I don't know if you've seen uh, Padma Lakshmi's episodes of Taste the Nation on Hulu. And she has that one episode about Indian food. And she talks specifically about her daughter, who is, you know, half Indian, and how her daughter just really doesn't enjoy eating Indian food. Like the the taste of it just hasn't really connected with her taste buds. And so she has a real fear that that's going to be lost in her daughter. Mm -hmm. um, and so it got me thinking like, okay, like once you start having, if you choose to have kids and you have, you know, how, uh, this really strong food tradition, how do you pass that on to them? And, you know, if they don't, like, as a parent, how would you, like, how would you feel about that? I don't know. Yeah. So I guess that's kind of my question. It's like, one, how do you keep that going, um, knowing that at that point, it's really their choice, like anything else, you know, if you have a kid, you just ha kind of have to let go of, like, <laughs> they're going to make their own choices in life. But knowing how strongly you both identify, Bianca, you have kids, Molly, you know, mm -hmm. I don't know if that's on the horizon at some point for you or not. Um, but yeah, so Bianca, since yeah. that's definitely more immediate on. Yeah, it's pressing. Yeah. The, the clock is ticking. I think, um, first of all, I just would love for Theo to not be a picky eater. <laughs> so first and foremost, I hope that he's not a picky eater. I feel like I have to start there. And then, of course, I would love to share a lot of food traditions and you know, make a lot of the same comfort foods that I had um, that I think about and crave from time to time for him so that he grows up developing that um, uh, that craving for it or, you know, gets used to it, ex exposes palate. 
um, and definitely make it a part of our celebrations, of our, you know, holidays, of everyday, you know, meals as well. But I think it will also connect if we're able to travel there. And, you know, I still have some relatives there. So hopefully actually taking him to to visit relatives and make those memories and, and connect the food to a place in his mind um, as he grows up. I think it will be hard because he's one more generation removed from it. So he's not going to have those same memories that I do. But I certainly want to cultivate um, some of that connection to his, his background. And like you were saying, Claudia, you, you might, you have a lot of friends. I have a lot of friends who don't know a lot about their, their cultural backgrounds. And even Greg, when, when, you know, we met early on, I was really interested in his background and learned that he was only a couple of generations removed from Denmark because his great grandfather had immigrated here, which isn't that long ago for most Americans. And I like, latched onto that I was like oh my goodness tell me everything I want to talk to your grandparents you know about what it was like like tell me all about this person what's their background when we went and visited Denmark we learned he actually had some family still there so we tried to meet up with them um didn't work out but um you know just connecting to that background with him was really fun because it's not something that his parents had dug into a lot so he got to um renew that interest I think together with me and I think it's it's going to be a little bit harder to, you know, have Theo maybe connect with, with Romania and, and Romanian food, but I, I really think it's important because I think at one point he'll grow up and ask those questions for himself and might as well instill, you know, that, that interest and that love at an early age to help, you know, just cement that identity. What about, is that something you think about, Molly? I am um, not as much because of there's still the, like the looming question on the horizon of sure. if there will be a child in our lives. Um, and then I have a variable that my partner is from a region of the country that also has a strong food tradition, that being New Mexico. Oh, yeah. They're yeah. All into their red and green chili and all of the spicy food that is a struggle for me sometimes since in Kentucky, a lot of our flavorings are just salt and fat and not a lot of spice, but I'm learning having lived in Texas. So that there's kind of his culture and then also the fact that he's Jewish. And so there's certain foods that go with certain traditions and celebrations um, that I've gotten to learn about through him. And so, yeah, I think in the same way that like my food heritage is just this hodgepodge and it's not not because my grandfather's last name is French or because my grandmother's last name is German. It's just because of like where we lived and the kind of food we ate. I feel like any kid or kids that we would have would just have the similar experience of like sometimes we're eating something really buttery and that's maybe mom's food. <laughs> sometimes we're eating something that's really spicy and that's dad's food. Um, and yeah, I think it would be tough for me not to try to instill a lot of that Kentucky like it's weird to me to think about the likelihood that any kids I have will not be Kentuckians oh, um, yeah, but I also yeah. feel like even though I also like Kentucky there's also a lot of things about white southern culture that I don't need them to pick up on and so that choice comes in again right um, and I, I there are a lot of things I love about Kentucky but I also just love having that as a shortcut to my identity. And so I think wherever we might be living in that time, probably still right here in Austin, I would also want them to connect with what's the food of the region there so that they can have that kind of relationship to place, even if it's not my place. Right, 
Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really what I've, as I've just, again, been mulling over this topic and these ideas and thinking about our individual backgrounds. I think initially I was like, oh, it's so sad that you don't have, you know, a connection to your cultural food heritage. But that's only because I feel so strongly about mine. And it's really not sad or bad. It's just it's just different. And there are really beautiful traditions, you know, even if they aren't tied to your family's um, culture, you know. So, you know, when I was talking to Nathan earlier, you know, he has really strong connections to Christmas and the foods around that for his family and then birthdays. Um, another friend that I talked to in a previous episode, she has a really strong connection to the this one dish that her and her mom would make, an easy dinner. And that brings up really beautiful, fond memories. And so having these conversations, basically what it's doing is it's teaching me too. like there are different ways to look at food that are just as rich and important. It's just that it's it's different. It's not good or bad. It's just, you know, another way to look at food. Um, It's really making me think of it's making me think of food as a love language. And that for those of us who are lucky to have loving relationships with our families, most families probably have one, and maybe it's that your mom would take you shopping or your dad would take you hunting or whatever it is. Um, and But yeah, to be able to have food as your love language, no matter where the food comes from. Because yeah. I, one of my other early memories, my there were five cousins on my dad's side. And I remember being like sitting at the buffet with all of my cousins at my grandmother's house. And she was just toasting Eggo waffles <laughs> for all of us. But she knew everybody's order of like, so-and-so likes butter only. Molly obviously wants butter and syrup. Um, and just like the customized Eggo waffle orders for all of the grandkids. Like that being her love language of remembering our waffle orders and just feeding us this thing that we loved, even though some people might say it's just like cardboard. <laughs> um, <laughs> we loved it. And yeah. um, she fed it to us. So it's, yeah, food can be a love language, even if it, the roots aren't as deep. Mm-hmm. And it's still a part of your identity. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I I think it's really fascinating. I feel like this is something I I need to keep having this conversation with other friends who aren't say Mexican or Romanian, um, and kind of get at that with them. And and I have a feeling, you know, it probably is going to be around more family events and things like that. And those were, that's where those memories will start to come in. Um, you know, I think about, how I am trying to keep my family's traditions going. So since we've chosen not to have kids and I, what I'm finding now is just sharing that with friends. That's how I'm keeping it alive, so to speak. And then it just keeps it alive within me. Right. Um, And the funny thing is I feel like Nathan's really adopted the food of my family to the point where he actually craves it more than I do. So it's, I like that because it's helping me to keep it alive as well in my own home. And helping me to dig into, you know, different regions of Mexico and, and play with different spices that maybe we didn't have at home. Uh, but it helps me to learn more about my own background. So that's been really cool. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So thanks. So a, go ahead. Um, I feel like it's a journey for me, too. Like as I've gotten older, I've learned a lot more about Romanian food and from you know, my own experience, um, I've learned 
that, uh, you know, what my grandma cooked is not what my friend's grandma cooked in the center of Romania or the northeast of Romania. Different regions had different influences based on who immigrated there previously. So Transylvania has a lot of German influence in it, Hungarian influence. Um, Northern Romania has Ukrainian influence. The southern part of Romania has more of that Mediterranean, Greek, Italian, and Turkish influence because Mm -hmm. of the Ottoman Empire. So I've learned a lot more about Romania's food history as I've gotten older. So I feel like it'll be a journey to explore that with, with Theo too as I want to venture out and try other recipes that my family didn't cook. So I think that will be kind of a a fun tradition to maybe start together that will help keep that going a little bit, keep that food history going. For example, there's a new cookbook out called Carpathia. That's the best Romanian cookbook I've come across so far. It's beautiful for one, but it also talks about the history of Romanian food and I poured over it with my mom and there were things that she had never heard of. There were things that she had heard of, but it's just not something my grandma, her mom had made. It's not something they made in that region. Um, And then there were things that she remembers from long ago that she cooked that just kind of, you know, faded away at one point and she didn't make them anymore. So we never got to try those. And so it's like in the past, I would say a couple months or so, there's been this period of discovery for me in terms of my Romanian roots. And I think that's something that would be um, fun to share, you know, with Theo too, in a way to keep, keep uh, the traditions going. Claudia, when you're thinking about Mexican cooking, or is that everyday cooking for you? Or are there also celebration foods that are key? Uh, it's both. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's really both. Like there's everyday foods that I'll crave. Or that I just find, you know, are a part of my life. Like if I want a snack, I grab a tortilla with and slap some butter on it. <laughs> you know, that's a snack to me. Um, and then, you know, like just a simple breakfast. Well, not even breakfast taco. Just a simple taco every once in a while. Um, very normal, right? But there are like very specific foods around the holidays that are important to my family. You know, certain types of tamales that come from the you know region of Mexico that my dad grew up in you know specific drinks um you know you've got buñuelos at christmas which are those basic it's not a funnel cake um but it's like a fried tortilla with cinnamon sugar so yeah they're really it's it's both honestly yeah i've got traditions around the holidays and then you know just everyday foods that are it's kind of, well, yeah, they're second nature to me and, and now to Nathan at this point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I will say, listening to your episode with Nathan, I do feel like I need his mom's coffee cake recipe now. <laughs> <laughs> it's so simple, but it's really good. And yeah, it's like the one thing that has to be on that table at Christmas or it's not Christmas, basically. And so now like his, you know, when you do partner up and, you know, you, you marry those two worlds together, those foods start to, you know, play a role in your life too. And, and now it's kind of become that way for me as well. And yeah, it's, it's really cool. It's neat to kind of look at 
a journey like that of two people and, and what it brings like you Bianca like you know bringing that out in Greg and, mm -hmm. and Denmark and Molly you learning about new Mexican cuisine which also has like you were saying just a really strong tie to the region and the food we were just there recently and I was like oh wow they're serious about it too <laughs> yeah Greg's mom um, was here uh, visiting us and she's really a big canner so she cans compote and jams and that was a neat connection to my own family for me when you know we met and I started visiting his parents and it's uh, a little something that reminded me of my family but it, it was different enough that it was a fun discovery of of his food background so his mom would make a lot of fruit compotes to eat for example on top of waffles or um, with you know yogurt and granola or on toast but um, little things like that and I remember his his grandpa talking about on his mom's side his grandpa um, had a Danish grandmother also and he remembers her sweet Danish rolls like he, he spoke of those with such longing and he, it's like he was a kid again remembering her her rolls grandma Meta, and I still remember how he talked about that um, so there's little little things that I'm still discovering, like you said, that that makes it really fun and adds to my my experience with food today. So I feel like you both have kind of talked about certain foods a lot, and I'm wondering what is your favorite food um, from your cultural heritage. I can go since we made Bianca go first every other time, <laughs> um, and because it's very easy that mine is biscuits. And it's, it's the whole spectrum of biscuits. My grandmother made uh, what she called angel biscuits, which were really small, not super strong flavoring. The fat is shortening. They're a very excellent vehicle for ham or other uh, flavorings. But then I've also found um, recipes for cream biscuits or really buttery biscuits. I have a recipe right now for freezer biscuits. So I can just like make a whole bunch, keep them in the freezer and then cook them like for a quick breakfast. Um, so the whole, every, everything about biscuits, biscuit sandwiches, I, I like the ham, um, but it's more the, the fact that it's unique. Like I get excited when it shows up in the mail, but it would take a long time for me to start really craving it. And, and there's other things that we can find that are similar. So it's biscuits for me all the way. Biscuits all the way. This was such a hard question as I woke like up. like asking you to pick yeah. your favorite child. <laughs> I Sorry. clearly have a favorite uh, child, so maybe that I shouldn't file that away in my, like, child-having decision. <laughs> oh, man. I was up feeding Theo multiple times throughout the night, like, still thinking about this question. But I really like the Mediterranean flavors of Romania. So um, on the savory side, like I said, I can just pick one. I'm going to give you savory and sweet. <laughs> On the savory side, I just, I love uh, Romanian roasted eggplant dip. I would always visit Romania in the summertime. So I really got more familiar with summer foods and what was in season then. And I, I tried, of course, other foods when my grandparents would come visit or just things from my childhood before I immigrated. But um, it's a simple dip, kind of like baba ganoush, but the smokiness of the roasted eggplant always like over, you know, a fire or, or just the gas stove in the outdoor kitchen just that smokiness and creaminess. Um, it's so simple. It's eaten on, on bread or um, you would stuff tomatoes with it and put little salty olives on top. That was maybe when you had guests and you wanted to decorate the table, you would fill little tomatoes. I remember 
in the States when we had my teacher over for dinner. I remember my mom made a beautiful spread and she stuffed the little tomatoes and I was so proud and I helped decorate the tomatoes with slices of olives and, you know, just that um, attention to detail, I think is something that is really beautiful. And so yeah, roasted eggplant dip. And then on the sweet side, um, sweet cheese pie is something Ooh. that I crave from time to time. And it's kind of like a farmer's cheese or a ricotta that's mixed with egg and sugar and, and lemon zest and vanilla. And you can add golden raisins to it as well. Um, some people like it, some people don't. And the pastry, the, the crust, so it's a long rectangular flat pie, kind of like a, you'd make a strudel. And it, it's not a phyllo dough, um, although you could make it with a phyllo dough, but it's kind of an oil, oil-based crust. And it's, you know, a crust on the bottom and a crust on top. And then that sweet cheese filling. Um, and it's something my grandma would often make the end of the week to have for the weekend. And it's something people will serve you when you go over to their homes. Um, and when my grandma was visiting us in the States and helping to take care of us, my grandpa actually missed it so much that he learned how to make it. And he, people, we would claim that like he, you know, learned how to make it better. Or maybe he claimed that and like got that, got everybody else saying that. But um, I think I loved both equally and for different reasons. He liked to make his extra sweet and added the raisins because <laughs> he had a big sweet tooth. So they were, you know, both, both were delicious. But that sweet cheese pie is something that I try to make from time to time. And just reminds me of, of my grandparents a lot. Yeah, that's sweet. Well, is there any any last parting words of wisdom <laughs> that y'all want to share? No pressure. Also, I'm just grateful that y'all took the time to do this and sit in or near your closet. <laughs> Thanks for having us. This was fun. Yeah. This was so great. And honestly, it just made me hungry. And of course. <laughs> now I want to eat something. Yeah. I hear I hear Theo in the background. <laughs> is he starting to get hungry too? <laughs> he is. He has a dirty diaper, which Greg is changing right now. Very sweet. Greg. Oh, um, well, but thanks, I'm sure ladies. he's hungry again. And um, <laughs> Yeah. And what's so interesting too is he's in a way tasting everything I'm eating. So it's made me even more uh, mindful of what I eat too. So yeah, it's it's kind of an interesting cycle of life is there cycle. anything that you've been like Bianca you have to eat more olives <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, is there anything that you've been notes. like really focused on <laughs> yeah he takes little notes with his little baby fingers and uh, <laughs> leaves those for me to review <laughs> he's like mom whatever you had that was delicious <laughs> less of that mom more of that <laughs> <laughs> one day he will <laughs> one day oh cool so good there you have it folks first episode of 2021 thanks to bianca and molly for joining the podcast and having a chat with me it's conversations like these that help me to understand how others use food to carry on their cultural heritage or even to revitalize it after our conversation, I was reminded of a line I came across in one of Nigella Lawson's cookbooks. In it, she says, Food, like a language, is a living entity. How we speak, what we cook, changes over time, historically and personally too. 
I think that's true and it can be seen in how families adapt and change over time from generation to generation. So good stuff. Um, now, before I sign off, I wanted to say thank you to everyone who's been listening to this baby podcast. It means a lot that you're here tuning in. If you like what you're hearing, please be sure to rate and review the podcast and share it with friends. You can also follow along at the show's Instagram account, Buen Provecho Chronicles. I'll have another episode for you in a couple of weeks, so make sure you're subscribed. Much love to you all, and hasta pronto.